Thank you for joining Women Inseparable for the study In His Likeness. May we grow in our ability to see others and ourselves in His likeness. Here's author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Luke chapter 5. If you are interested, I have a list of scripture that I would like to give to you. If you do not want it, don't take it. But this is where I've been the last three days. And I don't think we're going to be able to get into all of it today because we have a time limit. But I don't want to steal that from you because what I've had the last three days have been dynamic. And I would love to see what the Spirit does with this scripture with you individually. Your choice. Not even a personal challenge. This is just free money. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. The parallel passages of Luke chapter 5 is Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 9. It's up to you if you want to read all of Matthew 9 and all of Mark 2 and all of Luke 5, you'll win. But there is one little passage in Matthew 9 and Mark 2 and Luke 5 all about Levi. Levi and Matthew, you'll see those two names, it's the same person. There's, there's that study. We're going to talk about Luke 5 today. When you read the parallel passage in Matthew 9, there's an added detail that Matthew scribes into his account. And this account links right back to Hosea chapter 6. And it's fascinating. He references, he quotes, Jesus quotes Hosea 6 verse 6. And any Pharisee that's at this room that's listening to Jesus say these words knows the dynamic of Hosea 6. And in Hosea 6, the prophecy of three days, Easter weekend, is in that passage. And I have a feeling a Pharisee or two got lit on fire when Jesus quoted Hosea 6, 6. Cool. Spend some time with Jesus at that passage. On the other scale, Romans chapter 6. I'm telling you, it's been a good three days. Romans chapter 6 offers freedom and direction on what we're going to talk about today. Romans 6. The beginning part, but I'm telling you right now, all of Romans 6 will offer you direction and freedom. As will Romans 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 12. Just... <laughs> You want a bonus challenge? Steady Romans this week. You will find freedom. You will find direction. Last week we talked about God. Hard to find a word to say after you say the power of the name God. This week we get to talk about Jesus. It's amazing the difference, the, the tone that sits on my tongue when I say the name God. It's deep. It's root, it's power. And then you say the name Jesus, and it becomes the name above all names. And it's kind of crazy how you can say the name God, and even like an hour tone, not the world's tone. God is the God is God is God is God. We as Christian women know the power of God. But the love of God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and was buried and rose again. And then Jesus, God exalted Jesus to have a name above all names, including the very name of God. Isn't it fascinating? 
We talked last week, and I do not say this with any touch of blasphemy. This is just, test this. When you go somewhere today, talk about the name of God in conversation. See the response. Ears will hear. If they get annoyed with it, meh, no big deal. They'll just be annoyed with it. Or they'll acknowledge it. Oh, yeah, I know God. Blanket statement. And then talk about Jesus. It's different. It's different. You can talk about God. God's universal. He's not. He is. It's crazy. But you talk about the name of Jesus, and it rings victory, and it rings pain, and it rings a stumbling block, and it rings all types of responses. Some people will literally turn on their heel and walk away from you when you say the name Jesus. Just the name turns people off. Why? I don't know. I don't know. It's amazing the responses that people have with Jesus. It's also amazing when you have conversation. I had a guy at my door. Um, do you guys ever get people just at your door randomly at like 4.30 when you're trying to play kitchen? And you're like, I literally have a pot of water boiling and I need to figure out what to put in it. And you at my door, <laughs> it's not helping. <laughs> I don't know. Potatoes. I don't even know. Pasta. Yeah, but what kind of pasta? In anyway, this guy is at my door and he's doing an organic box of fruits and vegetables at my door. And he sees my son's t-shirt, which is from his Christian school. And he goes, um, I know that school. So we talk about the school. We talk about Christian. We talk about God. And I looked at him. I said, so, so do you know Jesus? And his head goes back like that. And he goes, yes, I know Jesus. I've never been asked that before. Interesting. Interesting to find out this man worked at a church for five years prior. Use the name Jesus. Something we do as Christian women is we open scripture and we proclaim the name of Jesus. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Can I say that again? Proclaim the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. God has exalted him higher than anything, God, higher than everything. His name is Jesus. Say his name always. When you're home alone, say his name. When you're in bed and you're scared, say his name. When you are at work and you don't like somebody, say his name. Always say the name of Jesus. Always. Always. I heard the words over here out loud. There's power in the name of Jesus. When you're talking to people, say the name of Jesus. And the beauty is, the reason we say the name of Jesus when we're by ourselves, when we're in prayer, when we are singing, when we are getting whatever done, the reason we want to say the name Jesus alone, so that when we have dialogue with a human, it sounds natural. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about Jesus and you don't know how to say it? Where do I go? How do I? Jesus. <laughs> say it at home. Say it at home. Say it in your heart. Say it in your mind. Sing it. Say it. Claim it. Cry it. Express it. Put the name of Jesus in a sentence. 
Talk to yourself about Jesus so that when God says, I have an opportunity for you and I want you to speak my name, you're ready. Your tongue is ready to proclaim the very name that is above every name. It's Jesus. We get to talk about Jesus today. Let's uh, pray and we'll go into Luke chapter five. Heavenly Father, how good it was, how good it always is to talk about you, our God. Last week was so foundational. It was so intimate and it was so personal. And I enjoyed the responses that my heart got to hear over the week of I spent time with God. I spent time with God. Hearing sisters in Christ proclaim this sentence, I spent time with God is such an amazing gift to receive and an amazing gift to give to one another. I pray that we will always, always purpose to spend time with our God. God, you loved us so much and you continue to love us so much and you show it always and throughly by the gift of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. I pray, I pray that you will speak your name today. I don't want to pray that I say the right words or that I give you the right example or that I give you the right testimony. I pray that you will declare your name in this room today. I pray that it's not about my words, but it's about your presence in every heart in this room, every heart on our podcast, every heart on our video girlfriends in our small groups. I pray that you, Jesus Christ, will proclaim your name that is above every name upon every single one of our hearts, that it's your, your voice, your words, your message, your thought, your truth, for you are our way. You are our truth. And Lord Jesus, you are the life that we cling to, the life that we desire to live. Help us, Jesus, to live for you today. In your precious and holy name, we pray all these things. Amen. Luke chapter 5. It's very hard to stay in a time, um, time schedule when we're talking about God and we're talking about Jesus. And next week, we get to talk about the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 5. This one verse, I'm going to start with this one verse, verse 32. Jesus says an incredible, incredible sentence. He says, I have not come, Luke 5:32. it says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Have we heard this, vo this verse a couple of times before? We've heard this verse a couple of times before. Sometimes we hear a verse that Jesus says and we say, yeah, Jesus said that. Can we hear it for the very first time? Pretend you've never heard this before and consider what it's saying. Jesus is talking to a whole heap of hearers. Some of those hearers believe in Jesus. Some of these hearers are literally following Jesus. They left their nets and they're following him. Some of these hearers, specifically Levi, who's hosting this event at his home, just that day left his job to follow him. He got saved that day, the very day Matthew got saved. What did he do? Hosted dinner. Come home. Come home. He called his friends. He's a tax collector. He called his friends who happened to be tax collectors. 
He also called his friends who happened to be prostitutes. And he also called his friends who had the reputation of being sinners above sinners. This was his circle. And he invited Jesus in. And one thing I love is you read Luke 5 and as you read Mark 2 and as you read Matthew 9 over this next coming days, what I love is the sentence that says they reclined with Jesus. They the tax collectors, the sinners above sinners, reclined comfortably in the presence of Jesus. I find that very interesting. As a Christian woman in today's society, I find that very interesting. And it makes me wonder if people who are literally labeled sinners above sinners, if they would be comfortable in my presence, or if I'd be too busy judging too busy having my thoughts, too busy wanting to throw my words, too busy to fix, correct the way. I want to know what Jesus did, because I want to do that. I want to know how he responded, how he laughed freely with these sinners. I want to know how he moved his hands and relaxed comfortably in the presence of bad company. They, the, and I, I'm not stereotyping, I'm using scriptures, definitions. These tax collectors, these sinners felt comfortable and they felt at ease. They felt, they felt relaxed enough to be themselves in front of Jesus. And on the flip side, Jesus was comfortable enough in, in himself to be Jesus in their company. Which means he took in the words, he took in the vision, he took in the surroundings, he took in the food, he took in the drink, he, he saw it all, but he didn't partake in it. He didn't respond with words of sin. He didn't respond with action of sin. He was able to keep who he is without sin and still be comfortable around those who were in sin. Does that make sense? Because I have a hard time with that. I live in a Christian, some would say a Christian bubble, and I'm okay with that. I chose that. I like that. I'm in a Christian surrounding always. My life is about Christian women. I'm in Christian studies. I do Christian things. What do you do when you're surrounded at a table with unsaved people? Little question to evaluate, perhaps as a weekend of celebration is coming upon us. How can those people at your table be comfortable in your presence, daughter? How can they be comfortable in your presence? How can you keep your standard of living in the name of Jesus Christ? Not your religious standard, not your self-righteous standard, but Jesus' standard in you how can you keep that while being comfortable with those at your table? I don't have your answer, but Jesus does. Will you consider making that a very, very important personal challenge as dinner eating is coming up in front of us? We are here in this season. Easter is sitting, sitting at the door. We get to celebrate our risen king and not all of us will be dining with Christians. Are you one of those people?
We have some of our girlfriends that have submitted prayer requests. I'm going home. I'm going home this week and please pray. I'm going home this week and please pray. We get, we, we get to celebrate our Savior with our family, and not all of our family knows Jesus. What is that going to look like? Jesus acts it out for us. If you want a reason to study Luke 5 and Mark 2 and Matthew 9, lay it on the floor, get on your knees before it and pray, God, I'm going to this table and this person and this person and this person and this person by name will be at my dinner table. I'm not comfortable with them. I don't know how to respond to them when they say their jokes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do when they offer their foods and their drinks. I don't know how to respond. I feel so stiff. I feel so Christian-y. I don't know what to do. Let Jesus direct you. Jesus knows. He knows what these dinner tables are like. Follow Jesus' example as you are where you are. That's good timing. It's at this table that Pharisees come in. So it's interesting he's saying the sentence not to the sinners. He's not saying the sentence to Matthew. He's not saying the sentence to his followers. He's saying the sentence to the religious. Totally different category of people that are in this room. The Pharisees walk in the door and they say, How dare you sit with people like this? How dare you dine with these people? This is what Bible says. And Jesus says the infamous sentence. He says, I Every word in this sentence can be broken up. We talked about God being I am. That's the power of Jesus' pronoun in this moment. He says, I have come. And you can pause on that moment right there as well. And you can insert John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, I am that person. I am the one that came because God loves this world so much. I came. And in his coming, Philippians 2 tells us he submitted to the very will of God. Do you hear that? Jesus was in obedience. Jesus was in submission to God because of God's love for you. Jesus says, I came. I have come. That's what he means by I have come. In my coming, I was obedient. That's a powerful sentence. It's a whole nother different dialogue of conversation talking about obedience and submission. Can I just say this? When you hear the word submission, don't cringe ever. Erase that response. When you hear the word submission, think of Philippians chapter two. When you think of the word submission, think of Jesus Christ because he literally is submission. Jesus says, I have come. I obeyed my God because of God's love for this world. I have come. Look at what he says. He says, I have come and I'm going to purposely erase a couple of words for a moment. He says, I have come to call such an intimate dialogue. I have come to call sinners to repentance. For God so loved the world. 
He loved the world as the world was. He loved the world where the world was. The world was not perfect and God loved it. Can you hear that over yourself? So I don't know why God, why God loves me. I don't know why God wants me. I don't know the answers. I can tell you the answer. The answer is God loves. That's the answer. His love is so big. It's so powerful. It's so deep. He loves you so much that he says, Jesus, I've got a question for you. Jesus, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to be human. What did that conversation look like? Do you have so many questions when you get to heaven? I have so many questions when I get to heaven and I won't remember any of them. I'll just be in awe. Oh, I want to know what that conversation sounded like when God says, I want you to go, I want you to put on humanity and I want you to serve the very image of how desperately we love the world. Can you do that? What does that look like? Don't sin. Don't sin. For a minute? Yeah, don't sin for a minute. For an hour, yeah, don't sin for an hour. For a day, huh. have you ever marked your calendar the day you went without sinning? <laughs> I haven't done that yet. I haven't gotten there. Jesus went a day, an entire 24-hour time period without sinning. I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he did that. We had a challenge last week of doing an hour with our God. And quite literally, quite literally, I stood up from my hour with God and I proceeded into my day. And within a half an hour, my husband was home and I'm having a dialogue with my husband and it wasn't toward him. But in a conversation that came in, I had a bad thought about a person. I went from being on my, th my face before the throne of God to sinning within 30 minutes. And my husband and I stopped and had that conversation. How did Jesus do that? How did he do that? I don't know how he did that for a whole day. I can't even make it 30 minutes. Can I add to that? He did that for 33 years. 33 years of 24 hour days of being with people like the Pharisees that were so religious. That's what Jesus did. He did that because God loved the world so immensely that Jesus says, I submit to your plan because I love the world so immensely. This is why Jesus is Jesus. This is why Jesus did what Jesus did. It's why Jesus continues to be who Jesus is. And that is the name above all names. It's our Jesus. Jesus says, I have come to call the sinner where she is. As she is. I've come to call this sinner. Can I ask a question? Sometimes I don't like asking the questions that are in my heart to ask. Are you a sinner? Sometimes we don't like to admit that. Can I talk to Christian women for a moment? And I understand there is always somebody present, always somebody here and women inseparable worldwide that does not know Jesus as their savior. I understand that and I welcome you in fully. But those of us that do know Jesus may I ask you a question. Are you a sinner? Peter gives us a warning in his second letter in the first chapter, second Peter chapter one. Uh, there's another bonus 
scripture for you. Peter gives us a warning as Christians not to ever forget that you've been forgiven of your sin. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. And it's not about living in your story. It's not about living in your sin, but it's remembering always I've been forgiven of my sin. Why is it so important to remember that you've been forgiven of your sin? Why is that so important? Who do you think about? Jesus. There are times and there are moments in our life, there are seasons that come and seasons that go that we actually sit in the presence of Christians. We actually sit in the congregation of churches and we hear the story of Jesus Christ on the cross and we glaze over. Jesus says, you, I have come to call you to repentance. Whether it's the day, whether today is the day that you're receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I pray if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that today is the day you say, I believe that you came, that you died on the cross. I believe that you came, Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I, I know that you died on the cross. I know that you were buried. I know scripture says this, and I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe and I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I love you. Oh, I pray that today is your day of salvation. For those of us that got saved a day ago, a week ago, a decade ago, 80 years ago, do you know the story? The sentence is still yours. That you receive Jesus as your Savior, not that you get saved every day of your life and that you have to get saved every time you sin, but you do always have to remember that you are a sinner saved by the grace of God. Always, always say, God, thank you for forgiving me my sins. Always. Can I encourage you to do that? Always. Not so that you have the weight and the burden of going around saying, I'm a sinner. I failed the grace of God today. And you put on your sackcloth and you put on your ashes and you display that you are a sinner saved by the grace of God. But that you walk in the newness of the resurrection of our risen Savior and declaring, I get to live the life that I get to live and the freedom that I get to live because of Jesus, because Jesus has forgiven me of my sin. That's power. That's freedom. That's no longer taking the chains of grossness and putting it on our shoulders and holding it there because it's not linked to us anymore, but we want to keep it because it's comfortable and it's all we know. So I'm going to hold my chains on my shoulders and walk around. See my sin? I'm not a sinner anymore. Then don't do it. Some of us put our sin in our little backpack and we put it in our luggage and we carry it around with us everywhere we go. You've received Jesus as your savior. You have been forgiven of that sin. This is what Jesus has done. He has forgiven you of your sin. He's forgiven you of your sin, that sin right there in your head. That sin that you haven't even like fully put into a sentence, that sin that you can't get over. Do you know by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of that sin? Do you see that? Jesus has come to call you free from sin. Oh, do you want to just say thank you? Don't you just want to say thank you? We spent an hour with God last week. What would that look like if you spent an hour with Jesus this week? What would that look like? 
Do you have to? Nope. Do you want to? I don't know. It's up to you. But I encourage you. Part of me wants to even say, for those of us that are in this room, we are literally in the house, the building of God. Inside of the house, inside of a building of God, there's a thing called an altar. And I have not talked to our woman's director who is in this room, but I have a feeling that that altar is open. What would happen if we as women inseparable today went to the altar? It's a curious thought. That's a curious thought. To get on our knees in the very house of God and say, Jesus, either one, I don't know you as my savior, but I'm in love with what I've heard about you today. And I want to receive you as my savior today. May that be our first prayer. And maybe those of us that do know Jesus as our savior, get on our knees today and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Because in your forgiveness of my sin, I am so free. I am so free to be me as I am. That's fascinating to me because I'm not perfect. You know me and you have trusted me to bear your freedom. That's amazing to me. He's not saying you're free from your sin, but don't do anything yet because I got work to do. He's saying, I've forgiven of your sin. Now go, go home, go to that table, go to your people, live your life in my freedom as you are where you are, because I love you and I trust you with my love. Go shine. Is that cool? Scary. Somehow that's scary to me. Amazing how freedom can be frightening. It's amazing to me. Jesus says, I have come to call you free from your sin. There's one little part, and I'm just going to read it so we read the fullness of scripture, but I pray that God will use this where he needs it to be used and the heart that it needs to be used over the next few days. He says, I, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May we Christian women not become righteous. Can I ask that from the depths of my heart? Will you stand with me and say, I declare, I will not, I will not allow the grossness of being labeled self-righteous to be put on me. I don't want that chain. I don't want that weight. I don't want that burden. I don't want that box. I don't want to be identified as self-righteous. And for some of us, that needs to be the sin that we confess. God, I have become so self-righteous that I haven't even allowed your righteousness to flow through me as the instrument that's listed in Romans 8. I want to be an instrument of your righteousness. And all I've done with you is become righteous. And it's gross to me as I label that. Please forgive me being righteous. And I wonder if some of us will find freedom to sit at that table at Easter with our family in the forgiveness of being righteous, because do you know that unsaved people see us as righteous? And sometimes we embrace that, not all of us and not at all times, but sometimes we find that as a blanket and we cover ourselves in that because we don't know how to be raw and we don't know how to be real. So we put on our blanket of 
our righteous protection and we, we, we block the Holy Spirit from being able to do what the Holy Spirit does. And we get to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. This week, today, this moment, will you join me with Jesus? Whether that's in prayer right now, whether it's at the altar, if I may, whether it's at home, in your prayer closet, will you commit to being with Jesus? Period. Sweet Jesus, there is not enough time. John says there's not enough pages to declare your goodness, to talk about your love, Jesus. You're so, you're so amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being God, for being in the beginning and creating the world and creating us in your likeness. Can I just thank you for that? And can I stack on top of that how much I thank you for being obedient to our God, to coming to earth and putting on this humanity that we struggle in always. You put it on and you did it so well. I don't know how you did it so well, but I thank you. I thank you for perfecting us, perfecting humanity, for putting your touch, your touch of your likeness back into your creation. Lord, we cannot, we cannot go a day, a moment without battling sin, but you have given us freedom from it. You've given us your grace. You've given us your trust to be who we are as we are in the newness of our resurrected King. I pray that we will stand, stand together and say thank you for forgiving us of our sins, whether we have been saved today for the first time or decades ago. I pray that we will stand fully united in the newness of your blood. Jesus Christ, we lay all these words and so much more at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you joined us today. If you need prayer or simply have questions, email us at womeninseparable at gmail.com. You can find more Women Inseparable studies on various social media platforms.